Hello and welcome to Elixir Talk, the podcast where we discuss your questions and our ideas about the Elixir programming language and ecosystem. My name is Desmond Bowie. I am here with Chris Bell. Hello, Desmond Bowie. Hello, Chris Bell. How are you doing? Pretty good. Yeah. This is the part of the podcast where there's music playing in the background. Oh, that's very nice. I always like the music. Yeah, we add that in post-production so we can't hear it right now. <laughs> I thought it was you playing the piano the whole time, but no. That'd be pretty slick if I played the piano and recorded the intro at <laughs> the same brilliant. time. You'd be a multi-talented man, but alas, I'm just stuck with this this <laughs> subpar co-host. <laughs> Uh, I didn't know I had to be such a uh, polymath in order to host this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I think you do. That's it. Well, considering that we keep having to publish Elixir retractions, I don't know if we want to add like other, <laughs> other musical skills retractions. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Musical well, retractions. <laughs> maybe we're in the wrong careers. You know. What we should have been musicians. Should have been doing JavaScript podcasts. Oh my god! Don't start with me. <laughs> well. <laughs> What's uh, what's new with you in the world of Elixir and Desmond Bowie world? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, the big news is this week I am speaking at the Big Elixir conference down in New Orleans. Very exciting. Yeah, it's cool. I'm talking about how hot upgrades are not scary. And this is a topic I'm, I'm pretty interested in. We've discussed it on the podcast a couple of times because... I'm into the idea of hot upgrades, and it's something that I think our community has like sort of a weird relationship with. It's a thing we talk about, or it's it's touted as a benefit of working with the language because the Beam has this facility built into hot upgrade code. But there aren't a lot of resources out there for um, how you do it, when it's a good idea, and what you need to do. And my talk is focusing a little bit on how – well, it's mostly on on how it works – and uh, how you should do it and things to keep in mind. It's less like, is this a thing that's right for you? I think most people know whether they want HUD upgrades. I think a lot of people would be surprised to see how easy it is in certain situations. But my talk will just walk through, if you uh, have to do this, or if you're not making that change, then you basically have HUD upgrades for free. So why not do them? If you're doing X, Y, and Z, you have to think about these other things and so maybe it's worth it maybe it's not i leave that decision to you the goal of this talk is simply to give you the tools to make that decision hence they're not scary it's just things to keep in mind so you'll know so it's like a from the trenches on hot, hot upgrades kind of talk yeah cool yeah, yeah it is just kind of exploring this uh dark cave are you doing any live coding certainly not live upgrading that would be slick. I th I thought about it a little bit because it's always cool to see the live demo. But no, no, because I want to make a couple of changes, mm -hmm. and I don't know. They're, they're, it's it's fun to have that aha moment, but especially as someone who like puts on conferences, as you know, there's that like, oh shit, is this gonna work, <laughs> or is it not? Definitely. That I think uh, live coding is always kind of fraught with risk, isn't it? So, yeah. If if any of you are listening to this and you are thinking of doing live coding during your next talk, <laughs> don't don't do that. Some people, honestly, if you practice it a ton, or maybe you have like editor macros that just expand what you want to do, 
that's pretty good. Like, you can do it in a really slick way. But then at that point, I'm like, you might as well have just videoed yourself, you know? Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, video yourself doing the upgrade and be like, and here I am live coding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then pretend, like, ha, 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 ha. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah, you get the same reveal. Definitely. But this is, this is, this, like, talk isn't building up to one, like, sweet hot upgrade. Like, we're going to walk through a couple of different hot upgrades, the things you have to keep in mind for versioning. What happens if you want to roll back? What does that look like? And I think the audience can assume that it, it, it does the thing Mm -hmm. and we can just focus on mechanics and things to keep in mind. Cool. So do you go through upgrading state and things like that? Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. And that's one of the key pieces about hot upgrades. If you're not changing state, if you're just adding a couple of modules, then Hot upgrading is free, basically. It's if you're adding a database column, changing the shape of data, that's when things get tricky. And you have to think about um, migrating state. Much as you think about migrating your database, you have to think about migrating your in-memory state. Mm-hmm. Do, you go, do you go into detail about um, hot upgrades in the time of Docker and blue-green releases? No. <laughs> Long-time listeners will know I'm not a big fan of Docker. And <laughs> Yeah. I'm just going to pretend it doesn't exist. And I mean, when you're going with blue green deploys, you're starting to struggle against the, the current of assumptions that um, the system makes. If you're doing hot upgrades, like Erlang VMs are designed to just keep running and not be swapped over. And if you're doing a hot upgrade, you're upgrading that instance, not another instance or another node on a different machine. Mm-hmm. And then swapping things over, like you're sticking with the one machine and the one node. So, again, this is uh, an, a big FYI talk. So you can take these learnings and then try to apply them to your blue-green deploy setup. And maybe you get some stuff for free. I'm not going to dig into a lot of that. What about doing hot upgrades on like a fleet of machines? Or fleet of nodes? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a good question. You mean like clustered nodes or like many individual computers? Um, either and both. I don't talk about like the actual deployment of the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned eDeliver, but that's something I gloss over along with OTP and a few other things is like, this is stuff that you should know. We're just going to look at when it's appropriate to do this and things you have to keep in mind when you're changing state. How do you version a module uh, and that sort of thing? As opposed to, how do I, like, get this image up? Right. I I was thinking specifically more about, like, if you're doing hot upgrades on, like, a load of machines and four out of five of them were okay, but one of them failed, do you Mm -hmm. roll back, like, everything or do you just, I don't know, what happens Mm -hmm. in that situation? That's a good question. And I think it depends on your business situation. Why are you giving me it depends answers today, Desmond? <laughs> I I do the it depends. <laughs> oh, okay. I no that. Well, so if you say it depends on your business situation, you're saying that sometimes having a machine that's failed might be okay. Is that what you're getting at there? Well, I think it's a business decision to say: Do we try to upgrade that machine again? Mm-hmm. Uh, do we roll everything back? Like, is it all or nothing? Um, can you tolerate an inconsistent state? Like, can you isolate the machine? Um, I mean, and it also depends on the way in which it fails. Like, if all the machines are identical, why would the one upgrade fail? I don't know, network problems or something. Hmm. That gets into, again, like, the mechanics of how do you get an image up there mm. and run it and, like, 
perform the upgrade and this is looking more at uh what do you want to keep in mind what should you keep in mind when you're deciding to do hot upgrades Mm -hmm. i guess in that case though like you should have designed the state in a way where even if the service goes down it could be recovered right like so if the hot upgrade fails like falling back to a restart isn't the end of the world yeah totally and maybe that's a viable business you know business decision and maybe it's Maybe the answer is we could do hot upgrades, but our app is so big and there's so many touch points for um, different pieces of data that it's really not worth hot upgrading. Like it's easier to turn it off and turn it back on again and take a little bit of downtime. Mm. Um, Again, it depends on your business. Maybe downtime (laughs) is really expensive and it's worth having a couple engineers really go through each release Uh, because you do have to think a lot about when am I releasing this app? And how does my release process work? Like, I think if you were doing continuous delivery, you might have to re-examine that. Yeah, right, right, right. So you, you were doing hot upgrade builds on a server and shipping them out or something might be interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think you just want a little more control over when releases go out or at least mm-hmm. more understanding of them in case a situation like this, like you described, came up. Mm-hmm. If the system is under heavy load and you try and do a hot upgrade, have you tried that Yeah. No, there is some delay because while the system is um, migrating your code, it, it suspends the process. Mm, interesting. So there is a bit of, there is some downtime, mm-hmm. but it's process by process. Right. So does it start at the bottom of the tree and walk up? Uh, I don't know. That would be interesting. I don't know. Okay. And I'm also not sure, like, if I have a million processes, does that upgrade take much longer because it has to go through each of them and update? Whoa, Yeah. All the code. Interesting. So then if it it suspends the process, right? Like you mm-hmm. said. But I'm guessing under the hood, it's actually like reading the new code, starting a new process and doing a copy of the memory and then running it through whatever trans- transforms that you've specified per state, right? Uh, no, it's not how it works. Oh. Yeah. Enlighten me. What it has is... Um, I don't want to give away too much of the talk, but... <laughs> The VM stores versions of your function calls. Like it has uh, module versions. And what you end up having to do is annotate your gen server with a, a version attribute, which is implicit usually and just defaults to the um, MD5 of the code. But if you're doing hot upgrades and downgrades, you want to manually specify that because you have to implement a code change gen server callback. And then you specify in that function, like what you're up to and down from right uh versions are and so you want that control of i'm going up to version seven like now we're at version seven in the module so what happens is it suspends the process so no more function calls happen and then tells it to make all subsequent function calls to the new version of the functions and the vm stores an old and a new version of each module Mm -hmm. so actually so maybe it doesn't have to go through each of the processes because a process is just a process and it's only related to a module because of the name. Like it doesn't really know much about its function call. Like it doesn't have function calls. They're not methods on it. Right. But you have the piece of memory that's associated with the process, right? Which keeps the state. So that needs to be transformed as well. But then I guess that's your like up and down functions. Okay. So that's true. So it's less about like changing. I thought you were talking about changing the versions of the function calls in the modules, but you're talking about migrating the state of each yeah, process. exactly. Yeah, so I think it does have to m- migrate each process. Because mm. how else would you... I don't think it creates a new process. 
it takes the current one and then just passes the state into this callback and whatever returns becomes the new state does so you said the vm keeps like the old version of the function and the new version right uh old versions of modules yes old versions of mod- so the whole module with all of the functions inside of it exactly uh, does it ever do cleanup on that because can you incur more memory costs here no there's always an old and a new mm-hmm. and if you promote a new new the old new becomes the old yeah so it and keeps the old old gets excised so it keeps minus one effectively Correct. yeah mm-hmm. okay cool and then you said it gets purged or like some cleanup happens yeah oh nice mm-hmm. fascinating so no it's not unbounded yeah it's cool right like there's yeah. tons of interesting stuff going on here it seems crazy that they, i mean i get why they built it because obviously otp reasons and uptime and things like that it's just very interesting that it's like built into the framework right and yeah like the... baked into the virtual machine yeah yeah it's kind of nuts in a lot of ways yeah you're not having to do random jiggery pokery with a runtime somewhere mm. to trick it that something's happening do you know, but if you change it in config, you can't do this, right? If you're changing like application configuration? Yeah. I was thinking about how my local dev environment works, by the way, because that's like hot code reloading. Is that the same? That's different. Oh. Are you sure? Yeah, that triggers a recompilation. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Which is different from like a release upgrade. Yeah, 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 that's a really good point. I wonder if you could run it all locally as releases, and then just isn't get... that what they're trying to do? Like, that's yeah, a direction you're right, you're right. Distillery. With the with moving like distillery into mix, they're talking yeah. about it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then I wonder if they're going to like leverage hot code upgrades. So therefore, all of your talk will be even more relevant. Well, I, I doubt it because again, you have to be aware of what changes did happen in the code like right now you can just put a watcher on a file and say if something changed just oh just restart it restart it but the point of the talk is you have to like really understand what's going on i should really watch this talk yeah it'll be great you're not coming (laughs) no i'm not coming unfortunately i know big big disappointment but there we go i'll send you a postcard (laughs) it does sound fascinating though the whole premise of hot upload upgrades and it's definitely something that uh i have no experience with hence all my newbie questions but i appreciate the fact that you've been there at the front lines and dug into this for the rest of us well it's it's pretty interesting and the point of this is to encourage other people to try it Mm. you know make make your own decisions like give it a shot like there's a lot of facilities there i I was going to say support i mean that's like there's not a lot of community resources there. I would like to see more. And the only way there will be more is if listeners like you try hot upgrades and then write blog posts about it. Mm-hmm. That is true. So please try it and write. I guess like so many people are just doing stateless web services. <laughs> that would be my assumption. Yeah, it's what we're used to. Yeah. And therefore, like you never even think about needing something like this. Although I'm sure you could still get some benefits if you've got... A cheaper way to like, you know, upgrade and restart all your services. Well, without mm-hmm. upgrade without having to restart all your services, maybe it'd be interesting anyway. I think it also depends on are you keeping state in memory? And yeah. this is another topic we've gotten around a lot on this podcast. Like if you're not keeping state in memory, then 
it doesn't really matter. What about like, but like Phoenix with sockets, right? Like channels, good example yeah. of like probably something that could be hot upgraded and also can be kind of beneficial because then you, you can avoid that like thundering herd problem of all the reconnects happening. Yeah, I mean, I believe the um, the channels like the JavaScript knows to reconnect automatically. Yeah, but that's but that's like it basically listens to disconnects on the socket and then it will just keep trying to reconnect like indefinitely. Yeah, so this would prevent that. I, I sorry, it would prevent having to reconnect and getting that thundering herd of clients all looking for the server again. Right, right. So right. yeah. So that could be really beneficial. Yeah, that's true. I, I hadn't thought of that as like keeping state in memory. Right. So now you can include that in this talk. Cool. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> so did I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should. Uh, yeah. I wonder if anyone's been doing that. That'd be interesting to dig into a bit more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, sort of to your point, like it, it's a it's a paradigm shift for us to think about like stateful web applications. Mm hmm. And I think there's a lot of fear from people about like, oh, we've been doing stateless for a while. I don't know if we want to do that. <laughs> and this is sort of my contribution to like, no, it's okay. This is kind of the missing piece. This is how you deal with having a stateful application up. And uh, it's sort of a necessity for us at my company because we keep a lot in memory and we're going more and more in that direction. And... You know, right now we're sort of using the app as a big caching layer from the database. So then we have a couple of thundering herds. Like on a restart, we hammer the database to rehydrate the cache. Mm. And that's hard. And so if we can just like hot upgrade in place, it's easier on our on our infrastructure. And it's like we do keep a lot of, um, you know, downtime matters to us because we have gamers like constantly trying to request challenges. And that's lost money if if they miss something and it's a terrible experience if they win a challenge, but the app is down. Yeah, no, definitely. Totally understand that. So yeah. Nice. Yeah. What else are you looking forward to at the big elixir? Uh, I haven't been to new Orleans in a while. Not since I was at a RubyConf years ago. Oh, cool. So yeah, I actually can only stay for um, the first day, which is a bummer. Cause I have to get back to LA um, on Friday. So if you know, if you're attending the conference, like, please find me on Thursday. I'll be hanging out. I'll be out Thursday night. There's a really cool, um, what is it? It's like a pirate bar that serves absinthe that does not have electric lights. Like, it's all gas lamps that I went to before and I want to find again. Nice. Have you been in New Orleans? Never, actually. Oh. I'm kind of disappointed I'm not going to be there. So, especially to see Eli from my team give a talk. Uh -huh. Who... We will be talking all about event buses that we've kind of covered a little bit on this show, but he will be doing a much better job than I do of explaining it and how we use it here at Frame. So That's funny because I was talking to him the other day about his talk and he was like, it's interesting because like, I didn't write this thing, Chris did. And I'm the one that's talking <laughs> about it. <laughs> to be fair, I didn't even write most of it. Uh, I like, I did the first pass and then one of our other engineers kind of made it infinitely better. So... Are you sure? I mean, I know how fond you are of event buses. I love, I love a good event bus. Yeah, we've put one I, in all of our projects. That is true. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, on that note, I do think it is a really good pattern for being able to scale uh, services and have these kind of cross-cutting concerns and keep them nice and isolated. So, yes, I, I am a big fan of them. You are right, and 
I think for good reason, though. That's how I feel. So one could say you've gotten on the bus. I've drunk the cool bus aid. Well, there's the electric Kool-Aid. We should edit this bit out. (laughs) (laughs) We always say that, and I never do. You don't do it? (laughs) No, I never do. (laughs) Wow. Unbelievable. No, you're just... Our listeners get a raw, uncut elixir talk. Uncut elixir talk. Fresh from from the cow. (laughs) Fresh. Wow. Okay. There we go. That's right. That's Um, right. What else are you excited about right now? What else are you excited about? Uh, Chris is teeing me up for this one. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Great. So, uh, (laughs) the next fun thing is um, I'm happy to announce that the next Elixir LA, not Elixir, what am I talking about? MPEX LA conference uh, is scheduled for Saturday, February 2nd, 2019. Uh, We did our first one last year. It was a big success. Had a lot of great talks and um, met a lot of awesome people who came really from all over. Uh, to LA, which is pretty cool. And we're doing it again because we had such fun last year. So uh, the date is set. Our CFP is now open. We would love to have you submit a talk. And um, yeah, the CFP open. CFP will be open for all of November. So think about it. Uh, it's not a long window. We'll announce um, talks in early December, announce speakers in early December. But um, yeah, think about it, get a talk in. And it won't just be Elixir this year. We're expanding a, a little bit to other functional concepts. I mean, Elixir will still be the core of MPEX, particularly like technical things about Elixir. So if you're familiar with the beam, if you're familiar with um, hot upgrades, you know, some of the stuff under the hood that is not, it's beyond just like pattern matching or adoption or even even deployment. I mean, I think a lot of people have covered those subjects now. We're interested. Like we want to hear under the covers, technical stuff about this uh, technology. So, um, submit a talk. It'll be great. We treat our speakers very well. We treat our attendees very well. I can uh, I can vouch for that because I was a speaker there last year. Ah, tell us about your experience. My experience was great. Uh, my flights were all paid for, um, and my hotel was paid for, which was amazing. So not not a lot of conferences do that, which is a big plus already because it doesn't cost you a ton of money to get somewhere. Um, and as a speaker, I had a great experience, really friendly hosts. It's a whole different crew over there in the LA crew. So it was nice to meet everyone. And, uh, we also had like a speaker's dinner as well, which was lovely. Was that a nice dinner? It was a very nice dinner. (laughs) Really selling it over here. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was great. Really good little conference. And uh, I am definitely going to put my hat in the ring again and propose a talk. So sorry if you end up picking me again, Desmond. You're a great speaker. So, you know, we're always happy to have you. Thank you so much. As a man who witnessed my, uh, my, my wedding speech, you can vouch for that, right? You, you should have given an elixir talk at your wedding. <laughs> I'm sure it's exactly what my mum wanted to hear. <laughs> Everyone's just like, oh, I'm out. Yeah. That would have um, been hilarious. It would have been hilarious. But anyway, I'm rather excited about this MPEX LA conference. So when what's the what's the date again? Just remind us one more time. Saturday, February second, twenty nineteen. We'll be back at the same venue we were at last year, a really nice warehouse space in downtown LA. 
yeah, it was pretty cool. And we'll do a day of trainings the day beforehand. We'll have beginner and advanced training. Uh, we're still working out the details on that. But, you know, if you're a beginner, like, come to the beginner training. And if you want something a little heavier, then don't worry. We'll get something good. Can I talk about monads? <laughs> no, brother. Can I talk about monads in JavaScript? <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> as long as it's not JavaScript. <laughs> oh, damn. Well, I'm I'm going to try and avoid that. I'm going to try and uh, get my Elixir coding back. Or, cool. Yeah, do some more. So, very exciting. So, I'll keep an eye out for the CFP, and I'm sure we'll put it in the show notes. For sure. And in the meantime, be sure to visit our website at mpex.co. Yes. Okay, well, thank you so much for listening, folks. Um, if you do catch Desmond at the Big Elixir, say hi from me as well, because, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sad I'm not going to be there, but hopefully see you all at a conference soon or a meetup. I believe we're planning a New York meetup here pretty soon, so I'll be there. But cool. as always, thank you for listening to the show. Uh, all of your ratings and reviews are appreciated on wherever you get your podcast. Uh, and if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so at twitter.com forward slash Elixir Talk. Or you can open up an issue on our GitHub page, which is github.com slash Elixir Talk slash Elixir Talk. So from all of us to all of you, keep Elixir. Keep Elixiring. Nailed it.